a seat, friends. Thank you, worship band and worshiping congregation. Love being here with you all. Good morning and happy Lord's Day to you. How many of you were caught earlier in I-95 traffic? Anybody? Yeah, just a few. Man, it was bad out there today. There were people who uh, got here like after, I don't know, sitting there two hours or something. So terrible accident. So glad that we're in the house of the Lord. We are returning to our sermon series called The New Covenant, Israel and Us. It is up there. All right, good. New Covenant, Israel and Us. This is the fifth and final message in that series. What are, we, what's, what are we doing next week? What's coming up? Well, this Saturday night is our great annual Christmas concert held at five and seven o'clock. And in each of those concerts, we'll have a simple, understandable, from the heart to the heart, gospel message with Christmas themes woven through it. And then starting next Sunday morning, a message on Christmas. And then the following Sunday morning, message on Christmas. And the following Sunday night, message on Christmas. That's Christmas Eve. And then on Monday, no message. You read from your own Bible and open gifts and rejoice together in the Lord Jesus. But this is our fifth and final message on the new covenant, Israel and us. We are in Romans chapter 11. I'm going to read the first 10 verses. Please follow. This is God's word. The apostle Paul writes, I ask then, has God rejected his people? By no means. For I myself am an Israelite, a descendant of Abraham, a member of the tribe of Benjamin. God has not rejected his people whom he foreknew. Do you not know what the scripture says of Elijah, how he appeals to God against Israel? Lord, they have killed your prophets, they have demolished your altars, and I alone am left, and they seek my life. But what is God's reply to him? I have kept for myself 7,000 men who have not bowed the knee to Baal. So too, at the present time, there is a remnant chosen by grace. But if it is by grace, it is no longer on the basis of works. Otherwise, grace would no longer be grace. What then? Israel failed to obtain what it was seeking. The elect obtained it, but the rest were hardened. As it is written, God gave them a spirit of stupor, eyes that would not see and ears that would not hear down to this very day. And David says, let their table become a snare and a trap, a stumbling block and a retribution for them. Let their eyes be darkened so that they cannot see and bend their backs forever. This is God's word. Bow with me, please. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this time gathered as your people assembled with friends who are strangers to your saving grace found in Christ. We pray for those friends today. Thank you for bringing them into our midst. Pray that you'll open their eyes, open their hearts to the things of God, to your things. Open their hearts to receive the Lord Jesus and be saved. Many of us have. Thank you. It's by your grace and not by our works that we are found in Christ. We come with hungry hearts and hungry souls today, asking that you would feed us, Lord Jesus. You are our prophet, our priest, and our king. As prophet, speak to us through your holy word, we pray. As you make priestly intercession, and as a king, as you rule over our, our wills, subdue our wills, make us bow to your will, your purposes, your word. We ask in the name of the Lord Jesus, amen. Again, the series slide, we're 
looking at the new covenant, Israel and us. And we're focusing more on the Israel part of that today. It's been different, different messages. This one is more on Israel. Israel is very much in the news. We want to know what's going on with Israel. Uh, we're, you're going to find out what God's word tells us is really going on with Israel. Not that war. That war is not spoken of in this word. But what's going on with the Israeli people on the whole. And here's the, the question we're going to ask and answer. Paul really does it in Romans chapter 11. And it's this. Is there a better future for Israel? A better future than what was going on in Paul's day when with most of them, God was not pleased. A better future than what was going on in most of the Old Testament days when with most of them, God was not pleased. God had a remnant. There was a remnant that honored him. There was a remnant that received Christ and believed on him. And in our day, same thing. With most of them, God is not pleased. Most of them are in unbelief. They're not in any covenant with God. But a remnant of them are saved by the grace of the Lord. So is this what it's going to be down to the very end? Or, here's the question again, is there a better future? Are there better days ahead for Israel? On this question, people with equally high views of Scripture, they believe it is the Word of God, inspired, inerrant, authoritative, and sufficient, just like we do. People with equally high views of Scripture have different views. That is because, why, why, should, we have, why should we have different views? Why isn't it simple? Why isn't it plain? Because, here's why we don't all agree on this, because we're very stupid and because it's very complex. We're working in God's book. There are things in God's book that he made very simple so that even a young boy or a young girl can understand how to be saved, how to honor your father and your mother, how to uh, not tell lies, not bear false witness. All the important things can be understood by a child who can understand language. But there are, as one person has said, and I don't know who it was, the Bible is likened to, uh, in it there are depths, sorry, there are shallows where the lambs can wade, and there are depths where the elephants can dive. And today in Romans chapter 11, we're definitely in the depths department. We're coming into depths. So put on your mask, get your snorkel, whatever ready, put your tanks on, and get ready to do some diving in God's word. Is there a better future for Israel? Here's how I understand Romans 11. Christians differ. Let's see what you think. Romans 11:1. 1. Paul says, I ask then. The then is in view of everything I wrote in Romans 9 and Romans 10. It's all been about Israel and God and salvation. So in light of all that, I ask then, is this the conclusion we should draw? Has God rejected his people? Paul's answer, by no means. Exhibit A, for I myself am an Israelite, a descendant of Abraham, a member of the tribe of Benjamin. God has not rejected his people whom he foreknew, Romans 11.1. 1. So here's the question. Has God rejected his people? Is he done saving Israelis? Paul's asking this back in his day. Well, we know that's not the case because we all know Jewish people who are saved. There's some of them sitting in this room right now. Has God rejected his people? And he answers, by no means. It's a really cool two Greek words. It's may, means no, it's the negative. May ginoita come to be. May it never come to be. May ginoita. How many want to learn that? Say may ginoita. Oh, you learned some, some Greek this morning. So Paul answers with this strongest, most emphatic little combination of two Greek words available to him. And he's basically saying, absolutely no way, may it never be, 
perish the thought by no means. So it's making it very clear, God has not rejected his people outright. He's not said, that's it, I'm done with them, I wash my hands of them, I want nothing more to do with them, I'm not gonna save any of them, they rejected my prophets, they rejected my son, that's it, I'm done. No, Paul's saying quite to the contrary, by no means is that true. And then he brings himself forward on the stage as exhibit A. So if God's done with his, with his people Israel, how do you explain me? Because I'm one, I'm an Israelite, and he describes himself in other ways, a descendant of Abraham, a member of the tribe of Benjamin. And so based on exhibit A, based on his own salvation, he concludes, verse 2, God has not rejected his people whom he foreknew. So no, God's not done with Israel. God's not done saving Israelis. But what we want to know is, is there a better day when he's going to save more? Sit tight, we're going to get there. Right now we're just establishing to start with, he's not done with them. I want you to notice the last word there, whom he foreknew. Now, Christians will differ on this too, but they shouldn't. The Bible's pretty clear on this one. And God has foreknowledge because he is omniscient. He knows all things. But it isn't that he just foreknew. It's not that he just, well, he got out of his binocular one day and said, I don't know, what's Israel going to do down in 2023? I don't know. Let me look and see. And he looked and said, oh, okay, I see. God is not learning things that he didn't know before and by seeing them ahead of time through his time binoculars. No, the word foreknew means foreknew, but God can only foreknow things if they are fixed. Like if God hasn't fixed that guy gets saved on that day, then there's no way God could foreknow it. There's nothing to see. There's an uncertain future. And that's false theology. God knows all things. When the Bible says God foreknew someone, it means he fixed his covenant love upon them. He determined he would save them. He foreknew them. There's even a sense of intimacy like Adam knew Eve and she conceived and bore a son. Doesn't mean he just figured out, oh, so you're Eve. And then she was pregnant. No, no. It mean, meant something very intimate, something very personal. So in the same way, this word, God ahead of time became very intimate and very personal with Israelite whom he would save, and he didn't have to look down through the corridors of time through his binoculars. Oh, well, I see that one. All right, I'll choose them. I'll put my name down based on their faith. No, no, no. He foreknew them, meaning he fixed, he predetermined in his eternal counsel. He, he determined all things whatsoever shall come to pass, and he's working those things out in time. So, Paul says, no, God has not rejected his people whom he foreknew, whom he chose, whom he predestined, who he set his love upon. But now we're going to get exhibit B. Paul is exhibit A to prove that that's not so. God hasn't rejected his people. Here's exhibit B. Uh, do you not know what the scripture says of Elijah? How he appeals to God against Israel. Here's what he says against Israel. Lord, they have killed your prophets. They have demolished your altars, and I alone am left, and they seek my life, 1 Kings 19.10. Elijah had what has been called the Elijah complex. It's kind of like the Eeyore complex, but it's in the Bible. Don't you be getting the Elijah complex. Don't you be imagining like, well, I'm one of few, very few, hardly any real believers left on the planet. I'm one of several. No, there's a lot of them. We don't, as a church, we don't want to get the Elijah complex. Oh, we're, we're one of the very few faithful churches left on the planet. No, God has lots of them. 
Lots of them all over the place and all over the world in many places. So don't get the Elijah complex, but Elijah had it. And he, in his numbers, he was only off by 6,999. He thought he was the only one. He thought he was it. God said, no, actually, I got 7,000. In fact, that represents more, 7,000 men and their wives and their children. So there's a whole lot of people who were not bowing the knee to Baal. So Paul says, let me give you exhibit B. I, Paul, am, am exhibit A. God's not done saving his people. Exhibit B is when Elijah, the great prophet, thought God was done with everybody but him, he was wrong. There were 7,000 plus wives and children on the planet. God has not cast off his people. He's always kept a remnant. Now he brings that home, verse 5. So too at the present time. Now we're leaving Elijah's time. We're coming into Paul's time, which is the same as our time. We're in the same age. So too at the present time, there is a remnant chosen by grace. Love those words. Chosen by grace. But if it is by grace, it is no longer on the basis of works. Otherwise, grace would no longer be grace. What's he saying? He's saying exactly what I said a few minutes ago, only in different words. It is not based on works. There's a remnant by grace. There's a remnant of believing Israelis, and it's by grace that they're believing. It's, by, it's a gift of God given to them. It's not by works. It's not that God got his cosmic binoculars, looked down through time, and saw what they would do. Oh, I see that one will believe on me. Then I'm going to write his, him down as elect. What kind of election is that anyway? No, God elected them, and that's why they, in the day of his power, to open their hearts to the Lord Jesus and believed upon him. There is a remnant chosen by grace. It is the grace of God and not of human works. But if it's by grace, it's no longer on the basis of works. Otherwise, grace would no longer be grace. So Paul says in his time, it's the same in our time, so there's a remnant. There's a remnant. It's by the grace of God, according to his sovereign mercy, those whom he elected, those whom he chose, those who, who he predestined unto everlasting life, those whom he foreknew because he fixed their salvation as certain so he could know it. Now, at that point, I don't know why, but I'm sitting there at my little desk in the basement of our house, and I thought, I wonder if I can find out how many Jewish believers there are on the planet today. So what did I do? I went to, yeah, I Googled it. Well, that's sure to yield good results, Right. So I Googled it and looked for things that I thought seemed responsible, and I came up with three, and I think these are interesting. You want to know how many Jewish people are on, who are believers in Christ on the earth today? Listen to this. The Pew Research Center. These are people who know how to do numbers. According to their 2020 study, they say in the United States, there's a certain percentage. I'm going to ask you to guess the percentage. There's a certain percentage of people who are born and raised Jewish who now call themselves Christians, followers of the Lord Jesus. What's that percentage? What's your guess? Call it out. Five? Twenty? Man, it's hard to hear when everybody's talking at once. I know you have to talk at once. What do you do? Hey, the number is 19%. That's way bigger than I expected. I expected like 1.5%, maybe. I guess I have a little bit of the Elijah complex, huh? 19%, Pew Research tells us, of those who say they were raised in Jewish homes consider themselves Christians. God is not finished with his people. Here's another thing I found that I think is reliable. In the nation of Israel, their Central Bureau of Statistics, 
say that 2% of Israel's population, that's 180,000 people, are Christian. That's pretty amazing. 180,000 believers calling themselves Christian in the nation of Israel. God is not finished with his people. Here's another one, and I don't know who this one was, but somebody counted that there are 280 messianic churches, messianic fellowships in Israel. 280. If you had asked me, I would have said maybe three. I would have been wrong. Would you have said three also? Yeah, all right. 280 messianic fellowships in Israel. God, what's this saying? God is not finished with his people. We could even just come right to our church. The best I know, pardon me if I left you out, best I know, we have three Jewish believers in our church. And sometimes we have a fourth. There's a blob of young people who gather over here. It was way bigger blob last week. I don't know why it's bigger blob, smaller blob. Last week it was like four rows of young people over here. It's the Beachmont crew, right? Is that right? They know each other from Beachmont. They travel around, do things together. Some weeks they all show up here. And one week, one of those girls who comes occasionally told me that actually her mother's Jewish, so she's Jewish, and, but she follows the Messiah, she follows the Lord Jesus. So on those days, we have, best of my knowledge, four. Just in our assembly, we have four. What, what are we up to? Exhibit H or something. I don't know what it is. A, B, C, D, E, F, G, H. Furthermore, when I went to Washington Bible College, I met, I just want you to know, because Debbie's here, that I didn't date her, but I met Barbara Eckhouse. Barbara Eckhouse was a Hebrew Christian. No one else in her family was a believer in the Lord Jesus. Somehow she came to faith in Christ and decided, I want to go to Washington Bible College and study the Word of God. One of the professors there, I never had him for a class, but a professor and a good friend of mine was named Lon Solomon. He became a pastor. He retired a few years ago. He's still, I believe, on the... uh, what's it called, on the directing board of Jews for Jesus. He's been on that for a long, long time. Exhibit, what are we up to? H, somewhere in there. So what are we learning? What are we saying? No, God has not rejected his people. We can go to Elijah's time and Paul's time and all down through history and our time. And there, there are lots of people who are Jewish but believing on Christ. There's a remnant. But compared to the sum total of the Jewish nation, it's a small group. Bigger than I thought, but it's still a small group. Now, next, Paul asks the question and answers it really. How come some of them are saved then? And how come it's only a remnant? How come the rest of them are not saved? Verse 7. What then? Israel failed to obtain what it was seeking. Salvation. They failed. The righteousness of God. They failed. The kingdom of God. They failed. Rejected their Messiah. Rejected the prophets. Rejected God. Set up altars to Baal. Worshipped the works of their hands. Israel failed to obtain salvation. The elect, God has his elect. You you say, I'm a Christian. Do I have to believe in election? Well, it's in your Bible. So, yeah. So, the elect, how come that one got saved? Because they're elect. Because God chose them. And the choice was a gracious choice, not of works, not anything he foresaw that they did. The elect obtained it, but the rest, what happened to them? How come that one did not believe? The rest were hardened. We saw this in chapter 9. We're seeing it again in chapter 11. The rest were hardened. By whom? God. It's very clear in chapter 9. And then he gives us some quotes to back that up. As it is written, and here's the first quote. It's a mashup from Isaiah 29 and Deuteronomy 29. God gave them, the ones who don't believe, 
God gave them a spirit of stupor, eyes that would not see and ears that would not hear, down to this very day, says Paul. Paul says, you know what was true in Isaiah's time? You know what was true in Moses' time? Same thing is true in our time. God gave them a spirit of stupor, eyes that couldn't see, ears that could not hear. Oh, pray that God will give them eyes to see. Pray that God will give them ears to hear and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Then he gives us another quote. This one's from David in Psalm 69. And David says, here it is, let their table become a snare and a trap, a stumbling block and a retribution for them. Let their eyes be darkened so that they cannot see and bend their backs forever. Psalm 69, that's David, Romans 11, 7 through 10. So what's Paul saying? It's not that the word of God has failed, but it's that God has his elect whom he chose, who he graciously saves in the day of his choosing, but God also has his not elect whom he hardens. So Paul wants us to know God is not up in heaven wringing his hands, and neither should we be down here on the planet wringing our hands. God is not up in heaven, is not up in heaven wringing his hands saying, oh, if I could just figure out some way to save more of them, but I can't. Now, you understand, don't you? God could save every human on the planet right now if he chose to. It would be a small thing for him. God can regenerate all hearts. So God's not fretting, oh, what can I do? We don't need to help God with other means. Well, God, you're not doing too good. We're going to help the poor gospel. We're going to also have, you know, other crazy things that we do. No. No, we trust in the word of God. If the word of God and the spirit of God doesn't save them, nothing will. But God is not trying his hardest to save them, but fail. No, he elected some. He saves them. He hardens others. He does not save them. So what is the current status of Israel? God has not rejected them. Then how come more of them aren't saved? It's according to God's election of grace. It's according to his sovereign purposes for them. Next question. Are you hanging with me? Back? Hanging with me? All right, verse 11, Paul asks another question. So I ask, did they stumble, rejecting Christ, hardening their hearts? Did they stumble in order that? Is this God's purpose? He had them stumble so that they might fall, completely fall, so God will wash his hands of them, so God will be done with them. Is that God's purpose? I'm going to make them stumble. I'm going to harden some of their eyes so that they'll fall. Is that God's purpose? Another may ginoite. You want to say it again? May ginoite, good job. May it never be. Perish the thought. No way, Jose. God is up to something, but it's not that. Rather, read on, through their trespass, rejecting Christ, salvation has come to the Gentiles. That's what God's up to, so as to make Israel jealous. Now, he goes on, if their trespass, rejecting Christ, means riches for the world. Pause there. And it did. Why are you in Christ? You're a Gentile, most of you. Your ancestors are probably like my ancestors. Go back far enough, probably not too far. They're worshiping sticks and stones. What are you doing in Christ Jesus? The new covenant is with Israel with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. What are you doing in it? 
Their trespass meant riches for the world. In Acts 13, 18, and 28, the apostles preached first to the Jews. The Jews rejected and opposed and persecute. And Paul says, then we're turning to the Gentiles. And they did, and Gentiles believed. Their trespass, through their trespass, salvation has come to the Gentiles. That's what God's up to. Now, if their trespass means riches for the world, and if their failure, their loss, their being cut off as dead olive branches means riches for the Gentiles, it does. Now, watch this. Now we get to the topic of, is there a better future for Israel? How much more will their what? Will their full inclusion mean? So Paul's arguing from the lesser to the greater. If they, by rejecting Christ, brought about great blessing for the Gentiles, what will it be when they are fully included? So what must the full inclusion be? Good Christians with equally high views of the Bible disagree on this. But I'm pretty convinced, what's that mean? I don't know, I'm just telling you. I'm pretty convinced from Romans 11 that this means there comes a great day when Israel in mass will repent and turn and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved. And Paul's saying, you think their rejection brought blessing to the world? Wait until you see what happens when they all turn to Jesus Christ. I got goosebumps on my arms just saying that, by the way. What will it mean, their full inclusion, their, their pleroma is the Greek word, their fullness, verse 25 uses the word again but translates it, their full number. So it seems to be there comes a day when Israel will be saved in large numbers and that will mean super riches for the world. You can imagine, can't you? Now, I'm going to try not, I'm, I'm dumb, I don't know. Am I about to say anything that's not politically correct? I apologize. I don't mean to. I'm not trying to be in, in anybody's face. But you realize, don't you, that the Ashkenazi Jews, and most of the Jewish people you meet are Ashkenazi Jews, are, en masse, a very intelligent people. As, as various people groups on the planet, they score higher than all of us. Some of them are in this room. They're going like, yeah, we do. Uh-huh. <laughs> Well, on average, all right? So let me tell you the difference. So if the average one of us in this room scores 100 on an IQ test, because that's average, they score one full, their average is one full standard deviation right of us on the bell curve, and they score on average 115. You say, well, that doesn't sound like much. Oh, that's much. That's much. And if you go out on the long tails of the IQ test, where people are really super amazingly brilliant, I'm just going to tell you the truth here, PC or not. The truth is there are, there's a great overrepresentation of Jewish males out there. Interesting. This is, this is probably, I think this is believed. I'm not making this up. I've read this with reliable people. This is probably why the Jewish people have had a hard, such a hard go of it down through history. Because they're so smart so capable. They take over Hollywood. They take over finance. They take over um, the medical profession, right? Name me some crack doctors at University Hospital or at Johns Hopkins, and I bet a lot of the last names are, yeah, are Jewish, right? How can that be? Because they're smart. What will it mean when all of those 
very smart Israelis turn to the Lord Jesus Christ. Riches for the world. He returns to this in Romans 11, 15. Let's jump a few verses for the sake of time. For if their rejection means the reconciliation of the world, all y'all Gentiles, what will their acceptance mean but life from the dead? Now, their rejection was God saying, okay, only a remnant of you, the rest I'm hardening. So what's the opposite of that? He calls it their acceptance. What then must their acceptance be? He says, I'm done hardening the rest. I'm now going to soften all the rest. I'm going to accept them. I'm going to put them back into the root of the Abrahamic covenant. They're coming back to the Lord their God. Again, arguing from the lesser to the greatest. If their rejection brought the gospel to the world, what do you think their acceptance will mean? He answers his own question, life from the dead. And that might mean, just get more detailed than it means to, sorry. That might mean lots of people being saved and getting life from the dead, their deadness in their trespasses and sins. Or it might actually mean a lot of people are going to be raised in Christ. But acceptance is an antonym of rejecting. God will start, stop hardening and start softening and start drawing. One of the commentators, I, one of the commentaries I pulled off my shelf to just check my exegesis as I'm working through these verses is written by a very fine scholar. His name is Douglas Moo, M-O-O, Douglas Moo. One of you wrote me about Douglas Moo's commentary on Romans this week. And he says at this point, the full restoration of the blessings of the kingdom will come to Israel. He says again, the present defeat, how they're reduced to a small remnant, will be reversed and turned into far greater numbers of true believers, Douglas Moo. And that'll mean for the world, gospel going in power and life from the dead. He builds more in explaining what their future will look like. Verse 23, and even they, if they do not continue on their unbelief, will be grafted in. Remember, they were broken off because they were dead branches, broken off of the root, which is the Abrahamic covenant and the Abrahamic promises. But if they don't continue in unbelief, they'll be grafted in. For God has the power to graft them in again. That's what I was saying earlier. God can save them when he wants to. God could save every soul on the planet right now if he wants to. It would be a small thing for God to do that. He's all-powerful. He's got enough grace to do that. The blood of Christ is sufficient as an offering for all the people on the planet. It's sufficient. God has the power to graft them in again as a people group. Now he's going to explain that, verse 24. For if you, Johnny Gentile, were cut from what is by nature a wild olive tree and grafted contrary to nature into a cultivated olive tree, that's the Abrahamic root of blessing, how much more, another argument from lesser to greater, how much more will these, the natural branches, be grafted back into their own olive tree? So they were broken off because they were dead branches. They were thrown away. They were piled up for the fire. But Paul says God can take Israel and put them right back in again when he wants to. And he can easily do that they can be grafted back into their own olive tree. They as a nation are now largely cut off. They as a nation can then largely be grafted in. What days are ahead for the planet? Verse 25, we're almost finished the verses and then I just wanna speak about all this for a while. You hanging with me? Thank you, love you. Verse 25, 
lest you be wise in your own sight, you Gentiles. I do not want you to be unaware of this mystery. A mystery is a thing previously unrevealed in Scripture in a plain way. I, wa- I don't want you to be unaware of this mystery, brothers. A partial hardening, it's partial. It's not 100%, it's not complete. Some of them are coming to Christ. A partial hardening has come upon Israel until, it's not an eternal hardening, it's a hardening that's temporal, it's gonna last till something, until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. And in this way, all Israel will be saved. Now that phrase, and in this way, all Israel Israel will be saved, Douglas Moo in his commentary says, that is the storm center of the interpretation of Romans 9 through 11. The storm center. In the last service when I said that, thunder burst. Everybody erupted, it was really cool. I was hoping the Lord was gonna do it again and I was gonna go buy some lottery tickets if he did, but but he didn't, so no, no lottery for me. I'm just kidding, I never bought a ticket in my life, all right. It's the storm center of the interpretation of Romans 9 through 11. Let's go on and read the rest and then we'll talk about it. As it is written, here's what God's gonna do with them one day. The deliverer will come from Zion. What's he going to do? He will banish ungodliness from Jacob. Paul's saying this is what happens when Israel gets grafted in again. He's going to banish ungodliness. That means in great numbers and mass, they're going to come to saving faith in Jesus Christ and put away their idols and love the Lord their God with all their heart and soul and mind and strength. Can you imagine And he goes on to describe what that would be like, verse 27. And this will be my covenant with them. It's it's the new covenant terms. I will take away their sins. They're going to flock to Jesus Christ, and I'm going to forgive them for their sins and their trespasses, and they'll be with you, new creatures in Christ Jesus, and part of this one new man, the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. And then... Return to that phrase, verse 26, all Israel will be saved. That's the storm center. So there are three views of that. How many want to hear the three views? Are you there with me? That wasn't real strong. (laughs) Maybe I should skip those three views. We'll do it. What does that mean, all Israel will be saved? There are three views, people who love the Bible. One view, this means the whole community of the elect comprised of both Jews and Gentiles. They take all Israel to mean Gentiles grafted in, let's call them Israel too. And so all Israel, a trickle of Gentiles down through time, a smaller trickle of Jews down through time. And at the end of time, all of them that God had elected will be saved. That's view number one. I'm not in view number one. You're welcome to be, I'm not. View number two, what does it mean all Israel will be saved? View number two, all of the elect within national Israel, a trickle of them all down through time. It'll just be like it is now till Jesus comes. That's view number two. What's view number three? I'm in view number three, as you can tell. This means Israel and mass. It means Israel. Paul has used the term Israel 10 times already in Romans 9 through 11, and each time he refers it to ethnic Israel. So I think he's still talking about ethnic Israel here. And he says there's coming a day when, in this way, all of them will be saved. All, might not, you know, the Bible does hyperbolize. That's not a word, is it? The Bible makes hyperboles sometimes, exaggerations for effect. Most, many, the larger number of, 
will be saved. And he will banish ungodliness and he will take away their sins. So what are we learning? There was the old covenant which they broke. And then God foretold the days of a new covenant and he said they won't be like the old covenant. Everybody who's in my new covenant will be saved, will be regenerate, will have hearts for the Lord their God. Everybody in the new covenant. And it turns out that most of the new covenant members have been Gentiles, 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 and a, a small remnant of Jewish people. But, but Paul says God in his wisdom is doing this to make them jealous so that one day a whole bunch of them, like en masse, they will come to saving faith in Jesus Christ. Is there a future? Is there an amazing future for national Israel? Seems like Romans 11 says there is. I believe it. In closing, one, do you know anybody who's Jewish? Pray for them. Pray for their salvation. Pray for God to remove the darkness, the veil that lies over their eyes at the reading of the law. Pray for God to give them that soft heart that his word goes in. This is what Paul did. Look at Romans 10.1 with me. Brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for them is that they may be saved. Join Paul and pray for the salvation of Israel. Number two application by way of closing. Do you know anybody who's Jewish? Don't just pray for them. Seek to lead them to saving faith in Jesus Christ. Who knows? Maybe God will send his Holy Spirit and you will lead somebody who's Jewish to saving faith in Christ. And maybe that will be, with lots of others on the planet, the beginning of their fullness. Maybe you're contributing to bringing in their fullness. Even if not, still seek to lead them to Jesus Christ. I mentioned earlier that doctors are very, I'm sorry, that Jewish people are very overrepresented in the medical profession, very. Um, the numbers are, are, are big. So Israelites are 2% of the population in America, but they are 14% of the doctors. That's very big overrepresentation. Why? Because they're smart. Good chance you have or have had a doctor who's Jewish. So I'm embarrassed to admit this. I've had nine surgeries as an adult. Almost all of them were on my own dumb fault. Almost all of them. Seven of them were my own dumb fault. The most recent surgery I had, the physician was Jewish. The surgeon was Jewish, very Jewish and very bright. And he knew his Bible and he knew a lot about the New Testament. Didn't believe a word of it, but we had a lot of conversation about it, but it never went in. The veil remained, the darkness, the hardness, it remained. What would happen if he, who's so connected to the medical community at Hopkins, what if he became a, what do I wanna say, a rip-snorting, fire-breathing evangelist at Johns Hopkins? What if he started preaching the gospel to all his co-laborers in the medical business? What if this happened in Hollywood? What if this happened in New York City? What if this happened in finance? What if this happened in all kinds of other things? What if this happened? Do you know anybody who's Jewish? Seek to lead them to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Here's a third and final thing in closing. 
And if you're not a believer in Christ, oh, it's our prayer that you may believe in the Lord Jesus and be saved and find life and be forgiven of your trespasses and be in Christ at the last day and hear the blessed words, enter into the joy of the Lord. We're praying for your salvation. Oh, come to Jesus Christ and love him and follow him all your days. And for that, we're going to pray right now. Would you bow with me, please? Father, thank you for this time in your holy word. We pray that we might somehow be used by you to hasten the day of Israel's fullness. We long to see many, many, many of them turning and believing on the Lord Jesus. God, it seems so impossible. It's hard to imagine, but with you, nothing is impossible. So we pray that you will send those days of refreshing from the presence of the Lord. We pray for Jews or Gentiles gathered with us here today or listening in online and some of them strangers to the grace that is found in Jesus Christ. Oh God, have mercy upon them. Would you send the the Holy Spirit in all his sovereign power to turn them to the Lord Jesus Christ? We pray to you for the Jewish people, oh Lord, have mercy upon them and draw them to Jesus Christ. And we're asking for all in his precious and saving name. With thanksgiving, amen. Amen. Would you like to talk with the Cornerstone Pastor about this message or anything else in Christian life? We would love to talk with you. Here's an easy way to make it happen. Just text the word pastor to the number on the screen and one of our pastors will contact you this week. Thank you. 